Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Human Behavior Show. Uh, the podcast has been running for more than a month now. I'm happy to have had a lot of the great individuals I've met along in my journey and being able to interview them. Um, so today, we're going to be doing a dermatology-focused one. And for those who know, I always wanted to be a dermatologist. Then I got distracted by tech and a lot of other things, but I've done a few qualifications in the field. And uh, I'm really, really interested in the innovation that happens in skincare. So today, my guest is going to be Dr. Pravisha Patel. Um, she will be joining us and we'll be asking her a few skincare questions, how she built her brand, Pravisha Skincare. And we'll be doing it for about 30 minutes. It'll be super interesting. So if you are in the audience, uh, feel free to come up, ask your questions, and we'll try and answer them. This podcast will be available on Apple podcast as well as spotify so um do follow us there and do subscribe there as well so um first of all um just waiting for dr permission to join um we'll be kind of focusing on things like anti-aging the importance of you know evidence-based skincare uh, what are some of the common concerns people have? And then the journey of Dr. Pravisha um, of building her brand and, and how that's coming along. So super interesting for entrepreneurs, people wanting to start a startup, as well as those just interested in getting more uh, skincare knowledge. So welcome, Dr. Pravisha. So happy to have you here on my podcast. I know you do a weekly room on Clubhouse for us on dermatologists and ask questions, answer a lot of questions. It's super valuable. So first of all, Dr. Pravisha, why don't you explain to everyone what you do, your qualifications, and what got you interested in starting your own skincare brand? I think you're still muted, like um, similar to other audio apps. You need to unmute and then we can hear you. Professor, just checking if you can still hear me. If you can, um, love to kind of hear about you, your journey um, for the listeners, and yeah, just trying to see if I can, I can hear you. Um, can you hear me? If you unmute, then you can. We can see. Try now. All right, cool. Can you hear me now? Yep, it's working good. It's always some great. There was a terrible <laughs> delay in the mute button. Yeah, it was like, oh my gosh, my phone's not working. I had no idea. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it happens and keeps it organic yeah so please explain to everyone your background and what you started with visha skincare oh hey guys so this my name is dr pravisha patel i'm a dermatologist in memphis tennessee currently hanging out in nash vegas tennessee so amazing city if you haven't been to nashville i'm going i'm actually uh, a board certified dermatologist i practice one-third cosmetic dermatology one-third Mohs micrographic surgery, and one-third uh, skin cancer surgery. And in my spare time, I came up with a skincare line called Visha Skincare um, that I patented to spread the word of uh, good skincare, intentional skincare, and also be able to make changes in the skin on people that are not my patients. So that's fun, too. Part of that was a non-hydroquinone skin lightener that we patented to be um, used safely to fade dark spots in most people. So if you're like me, we make dark spots and we like to get rid of them too. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, I know, I know the products for, um, you know, getting rid of dark spots are super popular and there's not many on the market when you think about, you know, the big brands. Um, it's like dark spot correctors. So that's pretty novel that you've actually done that, especially with hydroquinone, which a lot of people kind of, especially in the UK, fear away from. So what kind of concentrate percentage do you use of hydroquinone? So I don't actually have a hydroquinone. It's a non-hydroquinone derivative that we actually took the natural. So in the pathway, so melanocytes for you guys don't That'd know, <laughs> are pigment producing cells. 
that um, get bigger and excited with inflammation and heat and hormones. And they create sunspots and they create hyperpigmentation. So when these melanocytes or pigment producing cells get bigger, they look darker in the background of the rest of your skin for whatever reason. And hydroquinone is an ingredient that we use that's a tyrosinase inhibitor that actually shrinks these melanocytes. And there's other things that shrink melanocytes as well using the same pathway, such as licorice, azelaic acid, um, vitamin C, you know, and then there's also cysteamine, which is another, and glutathione, which is another pathway. And so using natural skin lighteners, like other ingredients that are not hydroquinone, that are also tyrosinase inhibitors, we actually created a blend and made it work the same as a 4% hydroquinone, which is a prescription agent. So coming, you know, in 2016, coming down the pike, we knew hydroquinone was going to be a problem. And we knew that um, there were some that the EU wasn't going to allow it anymore and that we were going to be able to take it off the, over the counter. So um, just knowing that information, and then I guess that's kind of inside information when we were neurodermatologists, um, we went to the lab and created Visha Skincare and then tested it against the 4% prescription strength hydroquinone and saw that it had equivalent results and then made the over-the-counter version of that blend called Illuminotics. So it's, there's no hydroquinone in it, which is really nice. And um, it's able to be used safely over a long period of time. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So without hydroquinone, I know that's something which a lot of people do look to outside of the, the EU. Um, so that's super interesting how you've been able to formulate that using your entrepreneurial skills as well as well, your dermatological. I had to hire a band of <laughs> chemists. So I definitely am not going to take credit for that. I'm going to take credit for the insider knowledge and the science-based knowledge yeah. and the clinical studies. But yeah. without chemists and cosmetic chemists and formulators, I don't think um, any of this would be possible. So there's a lot to it to make formulas stable and reproducible batch to batch to batch. And I think that's not in my wheelhouse. And I'm very lucky to have a good band of chemists. I actually want to stay on this line of thinking. So you, we, we start talking about hyperpigmentation, start talking about dark spots. Um, it is summer. Uh, a lot of people are going away, traveling, trying to tan or, get, or getting sunburns. What do you recommend in terms of sunblock? Does sunblock stop us from tanning or does it stop aging and burning rays? The UVA and UVB uh, that mostly sunblocks have, SPF 50, 70. Please, could you break that down for us? Yeah. So interesting thing. And, I, and this is a really interesting fact that I tell my patients all the time. SPF or sun protection factor is actually just a measure of erythema or redness. And it's a very inaccurate way of actually measuring any kind of protection because a measure of redness does not equal the amount of DNA damage that's actually happening. But it's the only standardized way that we have right now. And in Asia, we have plus pluses and plus plus pluses and little pluses and big pluses and things like that. And that might be a better way, but there's really no great way to really measure the amount of DNA damage that's actually happening because everybody's is different depending on your genotype, depending on your skin um, color, the fairness, and the ability for that DNA to become damaged. So I think, you know, it's not fabulous, but as dermatologists in the U.S., you know, we're ingrained to tell you that you must use an SPF of greater than 30 on a daily basis. If you guys follow me on Instagram, I'm going to um, post today about something called skin hygiene. And that's what you really need to do. So remember, sunscreen is just a cream. It's literally just a cream. It's going to come off and you have to reply it. You have to apply it every two hours. And on the bottle, it says 80 minutes and you really have to reapply it. And you're going to put a shot glass amount 
on the upper half of your body and a shot glass amount on the bottom half of your body and on your fingers. You're going to put two fingertips and you're going to keep putting it on and you're going to feel really sticky and it's going to get hot. And that's the deal with sunscreen. So in addition to sunscreen, we always, we always say sun hygiene, which means you have to sit in the shade between the hours of 10 and 3. Australia has a really neat little thing that says between 10 and 3 sit under a tree. That's because in Australia they have higher amounts of ultraviolet radiation hitting them and they have higher risk of skin cancers in that country as well because of that UV radiation risk. And so you want to make sure you're also wearing sunglasses because UV radiation, sure, it makes you squint and squinting gives you wrinkles, but it also creates cataracts and glaucoma and things like that. So I think um, in some people glaucoma, depending on your genetic background. And so I think, you know, those are things to, to uh, take into consideration. So I really emphasize sun hygiene. Sunscreen is great. It's just a cream. If you're going to use sunscreen, sunscreen is broken down into two flavors. You're either going to have a chemical block or a physical block. Chemical blocks work by sitting on the surface of the skin. And remember, your skin has to be clean and dry. You can't have like your makeup on and then put your sunscreen on. Your sunscreen's not going to work great. Heaven forbid you put a face oil on or a moisturizer on and then you use your sunscreen. It's not going to work great. Your sunscreen has to be on your skin. Chemical blocks will absorb the ultraviolet radiation and prevent the ultraviolet radiation from going into the skin. And physical blocks will actually deflect the light, right? So ingredients in chemical blocks are things like oxybenzone, PABA. Ingredients in uh, physical blocks are things like zinc oxide, titanium oxide. And we can get these in micronized formulas now. So that means that the ultraviolet radiation just bounces off the micronized particles. And so I always recommend a physical block if possible. And if you have melasma or hyperpigmentation due to inflammation, um, then you want to use a physical block with ferrous oxides in it, which means just means that your physical block is tinted. And that's just a little added benefit because hyperpigmentation happens from the sun but it also happens from heat, inflammation, and the UV, the high-energy blue light or high-energy visible light coming off your devices as well, like me holding my phone up to my face. I want to make sure that if you're getting um, hyperpigmentation, you're trying to combat it in any way by using a lightning agent, that you're going to use uh, sunblock with an iron oxide in it too. So that's my little spiel on sunscreen. I digressed a little bit from your question, I think. <laughs> well, that was a masterclass. That's exactly what I wanted. So essentially... You have to keep applying the sunblock. There's different mechanisms of measuring it. Um, so <laughs> I heard the term. So you mentioned eyes as well and cataract risk, et cetera. But your your eyes cannot be sunburned. Is that correct? Like eyeballs cannot be sunburned. Your cornea can mean. absolutely be sunburned. For oh, sure. no way. I didn't know For that. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Your cornea can get a little burn. Um, I don't know what they call it, but my daughter has a huge problem when she goes swimming her eyes get really red and her corneas get too much sunlight and she has to wear goggles and shades all the time. So some people can actually be really sensitive to it. Um, and that's a genetic thing too, but yeah, you can. That's super get, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's something I heard now. I'd never heard it before. Um, but so, so for that, you said sunglasses um, are essential. That's probably the best way. Yeah. And a hat. So I'll post about it. Um, in kind of a fun little Instagram post today. Actually, I was scheduled to do that. Yes. It's Memorial day weekend here in the States. And it's kind of one of the weekends at the beginning of summer. And everybody literally believes that they must go outside and get a base tan. It's just <laughs> a complete myth. So a base tan is basically um, going outside and getting a little color so that you can stay out longer later on. So these melanocytes, when they get bigger and release these little tentacles to the surface of the skin, are dark, right? And so that's what creates a tan or 
that color that people want because they think that being darker is sexy, but I think really pale is a new tan. Now I think we're changing that vocabulary a little bit. And I think everybody believes that fat looks a little bit better, um, a little bit more tan than not. And that's just, you know, light and shadows kind of phenomenon, but everybody can get a spray tan if they want, but getting a little bit of sun, that first exposure to sun does in everybody, even brown people result in erythema, which is redness. And then that redness creates that inflammation for those melanocytes to get bigger. And that's why people get that golden color. And so that is a myth. Getting a base tan is not, it's not preventing you from getting burned. Eventually it's basically protecting you. And it's your body's way of saying, Hey, I got too much sun just now. And now I'm going to have to rev up those melanocytes for the rest of the summer for you. Okay. That's interesting. So the, the, the process of melanogenesis or melanin coming to the surface um, is that something that happens? Is it true 48 hours after light exposure? Um, how, how quick is that? Yeah, actually, that's a really good question because that's completely genetic as well. And so, um, you know, people, those, so the way it happens in these little melanocytes is they make melanosomes. There's little pockets of pigment and these little, um, they're intracellular little capsules that then go to the surface with these little tentacles to the surface of the skin. And, um, you know, people with pigment like me, brown person, I'll tan a lot faster, right? I will, I can go outside for five, 10 minutes and without any sun protection and come back first, I'll be like darker. And then that'll turn into a a golden color, but that's completely genetic on how many, it it kind of depends on how many of those pigment packages you, you have as to how fast you're going to tan. Whereas someone who has less, who has more fair skin may have to stay out there a little bit longer unprotected, but either way unprotected is dangerous. That's really interesting. When it's cloudy, but the UV rating still seems to be high. How does that work? Can you still get tanned yeah. with that? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's this wonderful ozone layer that's deteriorating gradually on our planet. And, um, you know, the UVC is what pr- is, you know, the clouds and everything protect us a lot from UVC in our atmosphere, but UVA and UVB still get down there and down into the skin. And then we forget that light deflects like this UVR it's deflecting. So if you have white surfaces or if you're in a swimming pool or even skiing, it's just bouncing off surfaces and getting into you anyway. Right. So it's just better not to, you know, why take the risk of going unprotected and then getting a, a sunburn or a tan? Why not just wear the sunblock and, enjoy yourself safely so you can have a fun rest of the summer. And that's, that's great advice from Dr. Pravisha. I think this is so topical, especially with, with summer, you know, we're being, you know, start of summer now. And then um, with that topic, so how long does it take for a tan to fade? Was that genetic as well? And, and what can be done to help a tan fade, fade quicker? And whilst I'm thinking about that, I'm going to throw another question at you as well. Um, how many, so I understood that in kind of in your 20s, if you have a certain number of burns or whatever, it increases your risk of skin cancer later on. Uh, how many, I think dermatologists do assess that. If, if you kind of give us a bit more information on that as well. Yeah. So part of our um, risk factors that we look for, actually, when you're getting a skin exam, if you just come in, we ask you all these questions. They're kind of bizarre. But one of the questions is, do you have, you know, do you have family members with skin cancer? Have you ever had skin cancer before? Have you ever had a severe sunburn before the age of 18? That happens to be a risk factor for skin cancer, right? Having had a severe sunburn before the age of 18. And just one, not like how many summers did you go as a child with lots of sunburns? It's really how many, you know, if you've had one severe sunburn, severe, severe by the 
fact that if you think about it, if you can remember when you're 18 or you can remember as a child, having had to go inside and having had blisters on your skin or having had to treat your skin with aloe or ice, you know, something to where that would be a severe sunburn to where you've had actually lifting of the epidermis um, off the skin and peeling and scaling, that's considered a severe sunburn. So that's one of the questions. Have you ever had a severe sunburn before the age of 18? And that's been quantified in studies as a risk factor for skin cancer. And that puts our little antennas up a little bit higher. If someone says they had, not that we're going to look at you any less, we're still going to look at you from top to bottom. But we now know that we need to give you a little bit more of a lecture on sunblock because the DNA damage has already been done, right? So the glass is always half full by the time you come to us. You've already lived in the world. You've already been in the sun. And then you come to your dermatologist and we have to tell you, oh gosh, you know, you get X amount more sun damage. You're going to get X amount more DNA damage depending on your skin type. And then you're going to be at risk when the glass is full for skin cancers. And that's kind of an unstoppable phenomenon. I'm a skin cancer surgeon. I take a cancer off someone. They come back in six months for a skin exam and they have another one. That's just, you know, the law of, of ratios. You're going to have a 75% of having another skin cancer when you come back in six months and they think, oh my gosh, is this ever going to end, Dr. Patel? Well, that nose wasn't the only thing that got sun, right? Your cheeks got sun, your arm got sun, your legs got sun. It, all this damage happened at one time and it's a cumulative damage. So there are a couple of things that we do. Obviously, we tell you sunscreen, hats, eyeglasses, some protective clothing. And then we tell you things like, hey, there's a vitamin out there with um, polypodium leucotomus or uh, heliocare that you can take on a daily basis that's actually sun protective too. Taking high dose B vitamins, right? Taking 500 milligrams of um, niacin is really helpful to um, with protect sun protection too. So there are other things that we tell you along the way, including you have to see us every six months for the rest of your life. So uh, that's, I think I answered your question. I think I answered the second half of your question, but that's part of it. Yeah, you, you know, you answered it really well, actually. And, and time for, for tans to fade? That completely depends on how many of those little melanosome packets you have, right? So if you're pigmented and you already started off um, with a lot of uh, melanocytes and pigment, then it's going to take you longer for that tan to fade. And that's why you come up with these fading agents, right? That's why we come up with these hyperpigmentation agents for people to fade. The concept of um, tanning and wanting it to fade is not popular in people who are fair because they never want their tan to fade, right? Everybody wants whatever they don't have, right? People with curly hair want straight hair. People with straight hair want curly hair. People that are fair want to be tan. People that are tan want to be fair. And so I think that really goes back to standards of beauty. Why does the person that is pigmented want to look fair? I mean, I technically blame British colonialism here, but anyway, um, those are things to look at. But I do think that if we have uneven pigmentation, for example, when I get a pimple and it turns into a dark spot, I want my skin color to be even complected, not necessarily lighter all the way. Dr. Push, I 100% agree. And, and um, interesting how beauty standards change with time as well. And desirability of, you know, different features change. And we, we see that. Um, so we've talked a lot about some protection, um, you know, science behind it as well. Um, I did want to ask you, so with aging and sun exposure, um, how much does sun exposure contribute to aging? Um, and how can one prevent um, aging in terms of sun exposure? Is it the same? Is it sunblock? Is anything else we can be doing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so when you look at aging, what causes aging? There's so many factors, right? So the, the part where the sun damages the DNA 
And it also creates inflammation within the cells, releasing free radicals. And free radicals are these like reactive oxygen species that cling on to other things in the cell and make the whole um, ecosystem of that cell unstable. And when you do that with certain uh, molecules and proteins like our collagen and um, metalloproteinases, they break it down. It makes everything a little bit weaker. And so over time, sun damage creates increased laxity in the collagen, the hyperpigmentation. So you definitely contributes to what we call photo-aging. So someone who is living in a bubble that's never been out in the sun is still going to age. They're just not going to be wrinkly or as wrinkly as someone who's had sun exposure. I think my most favorite picture is this picture of a Greek truck driver. I think that's all, all over the place online where you can see that half their face, literally the left side of their face looks super, super old. And then the right side of their face doesn't look as old. And that's absolutely contributed to the sun. So aging happens though also as we said with inflammation. So someone who has a bad diet, right? I always tell my patients six glasses of water, eight hours of sleep, multivitamin, probiotic, and an SPF of greater than 30. If you're eating really unhealthily or you have free radical release due to uh, a collagen vascular disease or an inflammatory disease process in your skin, then you're predisposed. That inflammation is also going to make your your skin break down and age too, quote unquote age. It's just not photo aging. It's getting older. And our chromosomes by nature shorten over time all over our bodies. Like all, every cell in our body is going to shorten in its chromosomes, right? People spend a lot of time in research trying to make our chromosomes stay the same length because they figure that's the key to anti-aging. And so that's happening in the skin as well. So there's lots of hit factors for the skin, but the sun is definitely, I would say, 60% of the equation and maybe 40% of the equation is other things that we're doing from inside our body that contribute to the aging process overall. So being healthy, even such things as mindfulness, yoga, meditation, breathing, oxygen levels within our skin, making sure that all our uh, all our organs are getting enough oxygen and nutrients, that's part of it. That's part of the whole aging process. And then, of course, good old genetics, right? Some people have the best genes ever. And they look at their parents and you look at their family members and you think, what just happened? They all look the same. And that's that's genetics. That's, those are the chromosomes you want. I know for sure. That's really interesting, actually, that variation and how much genetics does play a part in it as well. Uh, and lifestyle. I mean, I'm both certified lifestyle medicine. I know how important lifestyle is uh, for intrinsic and extrinsic you know, signs of aging. Um, and, and with that, so... Um, there's been a lot of kind of products that, that claim to be anti-aging. Um, what, what are your thoughts on them? Is, is it a buzzword uh, or apart from, you know, retinoids, is there anything else that can help? That's, an, that's a really good question. Um, I think anti-aging was a buzzword until it became uncool. And now they're saying things like pro-aging. <laughs> they don't want to say anti-aging anymore. I don't know. <laughs> They just like, they, I don't know. In the beauty industry, they're trying not to say aging anymore because it's considered bad. I don't know. Uh, but ultimately, I think the the people are looking to look more youthful for lots of reasons. They're still in the workforce. They don't want to have fine lines or wrinkles. They want to, you know, they watch, they're on social media, whatever whatever it is. They follow the Kardashians, whatever they want. They, you know, they the goal is to kind of remain youthful looking. And you have to understand like a, as humans, we gravitate towards youthful looks, youthful looks 
thick hair, thick lips, good skin, white teeth, big eyes, all these things, because we're driven to fertility. We're driven, we're driven as humans to procreate and make other humans. And so our, our breed of, of mammals, we're, we're driven to this and consider that beautiful for X, Y, and Z reasons, because we're looking for these signs of fertility. And so, um, you know, and so that includes clear skin, like clearer skin, no age spots and like not wrinkling and things like that and plumper collagen. And so that is all, you know, these buzzwords are a lot of it is marketing. I think um, you have to really look at the ingredients and look at what is going on because it's not just in the beauty industry. The beauty industry is not just creams anymore. The beauty industry is ingestibles too, right? So you've got these people saying, drink this collagen powder or eat these collagen gummies or drink this glutathione ju- juice or go to the medi spa and get glut- glutathione injections or use IV bags, you know, and in there is vitamin C and in there is vitamin D and in there is all these things. And everything is touted as being anti-aging. And I think a lot of times we look at studies and we find a word like retinol or we find a word like collagen. We find a word, you know, an ingredient or an enzyme that has shown some benefit in mice or we find something that has been beneficial and we latch onto it because we're so hopeful that if we do it for our human bodies, then it's all going to be helpful. But I think it's a multi-hit, fa- multi-hit effect here. It's a big Venn diagram of circles interacting with each other. And so there's no one thing. As a dermatologist, I'm going to say retinol and sunscreen all day long because that's something I can give you and it's going to help you, right? But it's more than that, I think. It's a lot more than just retinol and sunscreen. For sure. And thanks for explaining it so well. So if I've got it right so far, um, you're saying so in terms of aging, so you have some block on, you get sun exposure, it will prevent it will prevent or minimize damage from sun exposure at certain times of the day. Um, and you have to reapply, use sun protection still, hit the shade, but that sun exposure will still aid you in some way. So you could still get sagging of the skin long term. Yeah, so you're still going to get collagen breakdown depending on your genetics. Say you eat terribly. Say you eat like a McDonald's cheeseburger every single day for the rest of your life. That's not, I mean, you're not going to look good. You know, it's it's going to take a toll on you in other ways, and that's going to break down your collagen too, and you're going to be fat. And, you know, the fat doesn't metabolize things as well, and you may not have enough oxygen in your body to combat any kind of, so you may not have brown spots but you're still going to lose collagen over time. You have to look at your family members, I think. Look at your mom and your dad. More importantly, look at your grandparents. How did they do it? You know, and a lot of times we find, I can speak for Southeast Asians, um, you know, our grandparents look fabulous because they stuck to our Asian <laughs> yeah. diet and they exercised and they had to go outside to wash their clothes and go outside to go to the bathroom and they had to walk two miles to go to the store. You know, and our, our grandparents look great. And then you look at people that come to the Western, you know, Western lifestyle and they're eating different complex carbohydrates and our incidence of diabetes and hypertension is going up and everybody's getting cancer. So it has, it's a combination effect. I'm a huge proponent of diet and lifestyle as well as taking care of the outside and the inside because it, it is all part of the same process, I think. So yes, you will look less wrinkly if you use sunblock and you'll definitely protect yourself from skin cancer. That control is in your hands. You're given the card, you're given the skin cancer gene. But if you use sunblock and sun protection and stay out of the sun and you're religious about it, you can definitely decrease your risk of skin cancer. 
and you can de- decrease your risk of hyperpigmentation and sunspots and less wrinkles for sure. That's in your hands and that, that we can give you the information and we can give you the retinol. We can give you the lasers. We can give you the chemical peels. We can do all that, but you're still going to age from the inside, right? And our brain ages too. So that's just not, it's just part of the equation. So, so if you've been a holiday, you, you, you've had some, you know, some exposure, um, is it worth getting any laser treatments or chemical peels post-holiday? How long should you wait? Um, does skin resurfacing help? Yes. So the answer is yes to all of the above. So what we do when we do procedures in the dermatology office is we create controlled wounding of the skin. And a lot of times we're taking that top layer of the skin off that got damaged, whether it's a chemical peel or a laser procedure and definitely resurfacing. And you have to wait till the fall, right? Don't do anything going into the summertime. Your risk of complications is a lot higher. But, you know, I'm not saying this is a quick fix, but it's definitely helpful. If you got a lot of sun during the summer inadvertently and you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't want this to cause permanent damage over a long period of time. I'm going to use my retinol every single day to give me a microdermabrasion every night. Then I'm going to go in the fall or the winter and get a procedure that can definitely help. So I would say the gold standard would be some form of laser resurfacing which definitely has downtime associated with it. Um, if you just don't like your brown spots or you want to tighten up some of the skin, then you can do other laser procedures. And then chemical peels are like a poor man's way or an easy way to kind of exfoliate the top layer of the skin and help. And it helps with precancers as well. Thank you, Dr. Fisher. You shared so much great knowledge and I'm looking forward to having you back on the podcast for some other topics. So guys, today we've been able to discuss with Dr. Pravisha, board certified dermatologist and founder of Visha Skincare, um, about sun care, about how sun sun exposure can cause damage, what you can do to protect it, a bit about anti-aging in the sun as well. So with summer coming up, I want to try and focus it in on that. And Dr. Pravisha also shared how she built her brand. So Dr. Pravisha, where can people follow you? What are your social media handles? And can you tell us where people can get Visha skincare products as well? Yeah, so I'm on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram. I'm at Dr. Visha at D-R-V-I-S-H-A. I'm also, I think there's Facebook as well, and we're st- Visha Skincare at Visha Skincare, V-I-S-H-A-S-K-I-N-C-A-R-E. That is uh, on, that's on, uh, yep, that's also on Instagram, and it is also on TikTok. So we are delving into the TikTok rabbit hole. And uh, <laughs> I'm on Clubhouse a lot. I enjoy the human behavior rooms. So thanks for having me. Um, do get on, even on my weekends and my holidays, yes, to talk about skin because I could talk about skin all day long and like probably bore some. Yeah, you're so passionate. But I'm glad that So hey, likes skin. <laughs> yeah, I'm so interested. I mean, I'm learning from you. I've always wanted to be a dermatologist and then I got sidetracked by tech. But I did a few qualifications and, and want well, to I keep my... I do think like, yeah, and you do the skin consult as well. So I think like it does kind of merge because derm is merging into tech. So I think one, we're all bit, one big happy family. Yeah, I mean, I love um, it. Yeah. Just, <laughs> what are you yeah. most excited about, Dr. Pritchard? Final thing. What are you most excited about in, in what's coming up in the dermatological field and the skincare industry? Anything that excites you? I think there's a lot to be said about what we're trying to do to digitalize images and make them reproducible. I think it's hard to treat skin conditions per se. I was working on an app for a little while um, to for Visha Skincare to actually provide specific products for specific problems. And so I think um, when I was working on it about five years ago, there were still a lot of glitches and it wasn't coming along the way I wanted it to. And I think we're a lot further on in that conversation now. So I think a lot of people are working on that. 
And so I think that's cool. And, and as technology gets even better, like the pixelization, the, the phone features, all of this gets better. I think we'll be able to uh, move the needle on like recommending specific products for you for your for your skin conditions. Right now we're talking to you, you know, and we are telling you, do you have this? Do you have that? And this would be good for you. Um, for example, Visha Skincare is multitasking, which means that one product, for example, the serum has retinol, vitamin C, vitamin E, ferulic acid, and the natural lightening agent, niacinamide, and uh, what and hyaluronic acid, actually. So, you know, like one serum works on every like acne, fine lines and wrinkles, scars, hyperpigmentation, you know, pores. So one product can work on so many. So I think with my brand in particular, it could work for so many things. It is available on Visha Skincare dot com online actually there's a 20 percent off sale right now for memorial day weekend for the whole site um you can find this on clubhouse as well i'm on clubhouse too and then also um vicious skincare is available on amazon uk and amazon usa and now we're available in half the jc pennies in the country so if you're just walking in the store um, you probably can see vicious skincare under the 13 loot flagship amazing guys do check out dr patricia's skincare line and follow her it's just so much great knowledge and it's just weekly rooms on the human behavior club as well so definitely tune in Patricia, it's been a pleasure as always being here with you thanks for coming on our podcast i will be getting you back on uh, hopefully in a few weeks to be discussing one another skincare topic for the podcast it's been super insightful so appreciate it and hope to catch you soon absolutely thanks for having me i hope you guys learned a lot yeah, I think everyone learned a lot. Guys, this will be available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So do follow there and please subscribe. Catch you guys in the next show. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.